Hi, this is Pastor Josh from First Baptist to Queen. Thank you for checking us out today. This is our uh, uh, study through the book of Galatians right now. We're doing this on Wednesday nights and then putting the podcast out, uh, going through that teaching as well. So thank you for uh, looking through this. Well, today we're going to start, uh, we are in Galatians chapter 3, uh, starting down in verse 25. Last last time we finished out in verses 25 and 26, where well, we're going to kind of pick back up right there because that transitions well into the next section of Scripture. Uh, so Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So Paul switches from first person to second person, addressing the Galatians specifically. He tells them that they are, through faith, children of God, which was an exalted position. A full child by right is positioned with great freedom and authority, where a child under guardian is not. Whereas uh, Paul has only thus far referred to Jesus as a son of God, he now uses the same phrasing to describe anyone who believes in Jesus. This is important because it elevates the believer from a position of subjection and heavy-handedness to one of power and responsibility. Verses 27-29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to promise. So being baptized into Christ, it means simply to be baptized following a belief in Jesus. It is being baptized as a public declaration of your commitment to follow Jesus. And then coming of age in in a Roman culture meant receiving a special garment that signified the full rights and responsibilities of an adult. Similarly, putting on Christ signifies the full rights and responsibilities of a child of God. And then there in in verse 28, Paul puts specific language behind an idea he had introduced earlier. In view of God, no one person has a leg up on any other person. Everyone starts the same and has the same opportunities for spiritual development. All of the designations we use to define ourselves are unique to this temporary world. Jesus does not differentiate between Jews, non-Jews, slaves, free people, men, or women. To Jesus, all people are sinners in need of a Savior. So when a person then believes in Jesus, that person, no matter what label anyone else uses, is a child of God and a recipient of the eternal promised inheritance. Now, starting in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. I mean... That the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So a child had the legal right to everything owned by the family, but he had no controlling authority to do anything with what was owned. The child's life was directed and protected by other people until such a time that was specifically designated for each individual child, as was the Roman custom. When that age of mature accountability was reached, then the child would inherit all the rights and privileges associated with being a child of the master of the house. Paul here is further illustrating his point of faith over law and freedom over slavery. Uh, Verse 3, in the same way, we also 
when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, the reference here to, to children is meant as when we were immature. Whether Jews dedicated to the Old Testament law or Gentiles dedicated to their own religious institutions, slavery took them all in. Everyone on earth was enslaved to something, which Paul calls the elementary principles of the world. These teachings were simple, were adopted and applied by the immature everywhere. But these, these teachings were also ingrained in the life of this world, like speaking, breathing, and eating. They were basic, and everyone everywhere had some form of them in their lives. Verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, This is one of the great but God statements in Scripture. We were lost in our own self-developed ways of life, and then God graciously intervened so that we would not be left to the inevitable, painful end of that way of life. The fullness of time, when it arrived, that, that means that when the time that God had already designated as when He was going to intervene, when that time arrived, or another way of looking at it, When the divine alarm went off, God sent Jesus as though God set an alarm for that specific moment in history, and then it arrived. Jesus was born into the world before he died, obviously, so the world into which he was born was still under the guardianship of the law. And even though Jesus was born under the law, he was not under the curse of the law because he never once sinned. The curse only attaches itself to those who sin. So Jesus was under the law, but not under the curse. Also, only one born under the law and living in its perfect fulfillment could have broken the curse of the law and released everyone under the enslavement of the law. And this breaking of the curse and release from the law's slavery brought the full adoption as children of God. For it is only through adoption that any of us can be children of God. An adopted child of God is not less in any form of rights. An adopted child of God has the full rights and inheritance of any other child of God, namely Jesus. Look at verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So, children of God receive the Spirit through belief in Jesus. The full Trinity is key to salvation. Believing in Jesus and receiving the gift of the, uh, from God of the Spirit initiates a response from the Christian to say, Abba. This was an intimate name usually used by children to speak of their father. It signified safety, security, trust. A somewhat modern equivalent in some homes might be daddy. Belief brings a new designation. Once a slave, now a child of God. This is all building on Paul's explanations from previous chapter, expressing disbelief that the Galatians were walking away from their opportunity as children of God and intentionally returning to a a slavery that no longer had power over them. Verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature 
are not gods. Before the Galatians became Christians to the elementary principles of the world, uh, those elementary principles of the world that they were enslaved to, uh, that was related to fake gods. The, The religion dedicated to fake gods or idols was rampant throughout both the Greek world and the Roman world. But it is also rampant in the modern world, just maybe not as overtly as a temple to Zeus down the street. It may more be, you know, green or plastic idols that we carry in our wallets or an electric an electronic idol that we carry in our pocket or a political idol for whom we vote or a living idol who calls us mommy or daddy or the idol of status or the idol of title or the idol of recognition or whatever the leading idol of the cultural moment might be. However it plays out, idols enslave us in a way from which God wants to set us free. Verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, who, who, whose slaves you want to be once more? Salvation is humanity knowing God and God knowing humanity. And, and Paul is having a hard time understanding how the Galatians had seen and experienced the goodness of God's grace and yet they willingly turn their backs on it in an attempt to gain access to grace through merit. The people have heard of the truth of the gospel as a free gift. They accepted the free gift, and then they tried to start acting as though they had never accepted the gift of the gospel in the first place. They would rather act and think like the rest of the world, that salvation can be earned through a lifestyle of doing just the right things. Paul calls a lifestyle of attempting to earn salvation is worthless. It it really gains nothing. There is no reward or inheritance at the end of that road, only pain and disappointment. The people are exchanging their freedom in Christ for the slavery of the law once again. Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. (laughs) The Galatians have begun to legalistically observe the Jewish religious holy days and festivals. Paul gives this statement as as an exclamation of shock and frustration. Those days were given to the Jews as reminders of God's provision, goodness, and future salvation through his Son. They were not meant to be observed so as to appeal to God's favor, as though they were keeping those events to appease a wrathful God. That, That really misses the point both of the former covenants and of the new covenant in Jesus. God's wrath is appeased through Jesus' death. Humanity is physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually incapable of appeasing the justice of God's wrath. It has to come through Jesus. Verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, (laughs) this is a seemingly incredibly sad admission by Paul. He is saying that if they continue down this road, then all of the spiritual work he did with them and for them will have been for nothing because they chose to abandon his teachings in favor of teachings that turn in the complete opposite direction of the gospel of Jesus. This is the ultimate expression of disappointment. He's saying, I may have completely wasted all of the time that I spent with you. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You, you, you did me no wrong. 
You see, when Paul came to Galatia, he was like the Galatians, living free from the law. And ironically, the Galatians are now living like Paul used to be by attempting to live according to the law. And the second sentence there, it's in the past tense. So the actions of the Galatians in the past did him no wrong. When he first came to Galatia, they were honoring and receptive to the message of the truth of the gospel. However, their actions since then have been completely different. He is seeming to imply that the wrong they did not do to him in the past, they are now doing with their turning away from the gospel. Verses 13 and 14. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. This is interesting. You see, when Paul first came to Galatia, it, it appears he had some sort of sickness that would have made it difficult to look at or to listen to him. Paul does not go into much, any detail here because the Galatians would have known exactly what he was talking about. And there's been much scrutiny over what specifically Paul could have been referring to, whether it's a deformity of his eyes or whether it's malaria or some kind of seizure to an untold number of other things. The specifics, though, of Paul's ailment are not the point of the verse. And to speculate about something that's not included in the text is really a waste of energy. We were meant to focus on what is, the, what is in the text and not develop assumptions from what is not in the text. The point is that Paul had some sort of issue that would have caused derision in many circles, but the Galatians welcomed him as though he were Jesus himself. The past actions of the Galatians were overwhelmingly positive and God-honoring. Look at verses 15 to 16. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So the blessings that they were so willing to offer in the past has seemingly disappeared from their interactions with Paul. Whereas in the past, they would have been so selfless and sacrificial as to even remove their own eyes for Paul's benefit. Now they have nearly labeled Paul as their enemy because of his teachings. Some take Paul's reference here to the eyes to be his ailment from the previous verse, or his thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But again, that is taking a meaning from what is not stated in the text rather than from what it actually says. Paul's use of eye removal seems to be an illustration of the former passion uh, and selflessness of the Galatians in service uh, to others. For now, they are acting like completely different people. They have become Paul's opponents themselves by rejecting his teaching and teaching others to reject it as well. Verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So Paul's opponents are puffing up the Galatians, but not for spiritual benefits, not for the benefits of encouragement. They are, they are buttering the people up for their own nefarious purposes. These people had come into the church with sinful motivations, and they do not really care about the spiritual well-being of the Galatians. They care only about themselves, their positions, and their opinions. These false teachers are attempting to shut the Galatians out of the truth of the gospel in order to give themselves an elevated position of authority over the people by keeping them suppressed under the impossibility of the law. 
Look at verses 18 and 19. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So look at what he says. To, to be encouraged and lifted up is always a good thing when done in a God-honoring way and not with ulterior motives. Paul seeks to encourage the Galatians both in his writings and through his preaching when he was physically present with them. He's emphasizing how intimately invested he is in their spiritual life. He strains greatly for their growth and development toward their own betterment and not like his opponents who strive towards their own betterment. Paul uses the loving phrase, my little children, to remind the Galatians of his love and compassion for them from the moment he met them on through the present. He is in great spiritual anguish in his effort to see them become more and more like Christ. Look at verse 20. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. If only, if only he could have jumped on a plane and seen them face to face. He might would be better able to express his meaning and feelings than through pen and paper. As we all at some point have to come to realize, tone can easily be lost in text or in a text message or a post. Being perplexed, uh, that he writes here, it's almost as though he's saying, I don't even know what to do with you people, or I am at a complete loss because of your actions. He never would have thought that this is where the Galatians would have taken their lives, but here they are nonetheless. So that is through Galatians chapter 4, verse 20. Next time, we're going to continue on uh, in the following verses and uh, go on through the rest of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. So I hope you'll join us next time. Uh, Thank you for checking this out today, and I will catch you in the next one.